Welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I will forever be your second co-host, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that only lasted one season. One season or less, one season or fewer, one season and canceled in the middle of it, and there are unaired episodes, comes in all Shapes and sizes. Isn't that right, John? Yep. We are dancing so delicately on the graves of these shows, figuring out what they were, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. But before we get into our show 2018's Forever, not to be confused with the other show called Forever, that's also a one and done. But was that 2014? I think it was 2014 with Yoen Grufford. Yoen? Uh, Ian? Okay. I don't know. Uh, but what what have you been watching, bud? There are two things I really want to talk to you re- about right now. Okay. Pick so, one of them. Uh, you only get one. Everybody gets one. One of them is... Uh, I just want to rant about something with you really quick. Okay. Have you been looking at reviews for the rehearsal? No. No, I haven't. There was this article in The New Yorker that literally... I guess it's written by some dude that's known as being kind of an edgelord, but mm. he's like, I want it. This guy's so smug. He just lords. He just loves to power over people and manipulate them. And he just thinks he's so clever and he likes to emotionally manipulate people and he's hurting them. And it's like, no, no, he isn't. And the whole point is that we should be in the moment. Yeah. Right. He doesn't understand people's emotions. We're learning a lot about people. Um, I I have so much to say. And it is. And it took everything I had not to use our one and done TV Twitter account to just rail on some people like every once in a while, you know, people put those uh, hot opinions out there. And I just I just want to scream at them. Yeah, you can't really do it anonymously, though, either, because the one and done Twitter account, you know, half of it is your face, right? So you won't really be able to hide behind that. Right. The other half is an anonymous hand changing the channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm oh, there too, but too. yeah. I'm going to compliment us for a second. I think that some people get into this reviewing thing because they watch a lot or of TV or they consume a lot of art or whatever it is. But I really think think that you have to at least give it credit for being made and especially give credit to things that are original. You know, it's like this dude's acting like there aren't a hundred very talented people working on that show. Yeah. I don't think Nathan Fielder would even say that he's the only one working on this thing. I mean, it is a, you look at the rehearsal, that is a massive undertaking on so many levels. Oh, absolutely. You, I think about what a nightmare it would be to produce that show oh my god yeah that just the logistics of everything is just insane or like any legal you know holes you have to jump through there are just so many layers to every episode 
that I cannot imagine having to fill out all those forms and send out all those emails. The other thing I wanted to talk about very quickly was the documentary The Rescue. Have you seen it? Oh, God, yeah. 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 I love The Rescue. directed by the dude that made Free Solo. Mm -hmm. So Robbie told me to watch it in December, and I just saw that they were making the dramatic version of it with Viggo Mortensen. And I was like, oh, I got to watch that documentary. What's the dramatic Man, one called again? 13 Lives. Mm. Unfortunately, I, I think it has Taron Edgerton in it too. Who, Or no, Joel Edgerton. Who's the older Edgerton? Joel. Oh God, I don't like him. Me and Robbie both hate him. What hate, about hate, Joel hate Edgerton him. do you hate? Just look at him. Ugh. I don't know exactly. I just don't like him. And I never have and I never will. Mm. That documentary, even though you know what happens going into it, it's about um, the 2018 rescue of a soccer team in Thailand that was stuck in a cave. And it is crazy. It is crazy the lengths that they had to go to to save these kids. And even though you know that it turns out okay, it's gripping. It's dramatic. I cried. Natalie didn't even watch the first 40 minutes. She only watched the last hour with me. And we're just holding on to the couch, like gripping our seats. We, I could not believe it. I knew I nothing not about, it. yeah, I knew nothing about the actual story when I first saw it. And so I was just completely, I knew that they survived. But right. other That's than the only that, thing I know. Yeah. It's the way that they got those kids out and is truly insane. And, I have no idea how anyone could do what those kids did, what those divers did, what the thousands and thousands of people that also helped to volunteer to get those kids out did. It is, it's bananas. Oh yeah. When the, the, just even the engineers that were making sure that the mountain they were underneath didn't absorb too much water. So they had to reroute, where all the rain was going. Mm -hmm. Like even that is just insane. And it's like, they're down there for like 16 days or something. I mean, nine before they were found. You should watch it. I'm going to watch 13 lives. I expect to be kind of disappointed by it, but I don't even care. Like it's an incredible story. I I can't uh, talk about it enough, frankly. Um, Was there anything you wanted to say? Cause I care about what you have to say less than what I have to say. Yeah. So I saw 13 lives. And no way. Were you literally going to talk about it? No, I wasn't, but I, I've, I'm up for talking about it. I can. <laughs> I just, fun fact, I asked you what the title was because I thought you would get it wrong. Mm. Mm. And then I was going to be like, no. oh, yeah, whatever stupid thing came out of your mouth that was completely factually incorrect. I was going to. Well, we were just watching Forever on Amazon Prime and 13 Lives is on Amazon Prime. So I was literally just looking at it. You probably inundated with it. Uh, But no, I really liked 13 Lives. I think The Rescue is better. Mm -hmm. But there's some stuff that they get into at 13 Lives that I think is really interesting. I mean, it's not too much of a spoiler, but one of the things that they talk about there that's not in The Rescue is not just like the diverting of water away from the mountain so that it didn't get into the caves too much, but also the fact that they had to divert all that water basically onto this farmland that was at the base of the mountain. So what happened was because of all the water that was being diverted, it 
drowned out all these crops that were there too. And so the farmers had to be like, yeah, we will risk an entire seasons of harvest so that these kids have a fighting chance of getting out of there. Like, wow. Insane. Yeah. I mean, it it really is an incredible story about people working together. And Mm -hmm. I wonder too, just some of the personal aspects, like in the documentary, the people involved don't talk about themselves a lot because you can tell they're not used to it. Mm -hmm. I really hope that 13 lives gets more into some of the personal aspects of their lives and what they were dealing with at the time. With Colin Farrell's character, yeah, Viggo Mortensen's, I felt like was a little underdeveloped, but that's my Mm. thought. Like, he plays the guy who had the Thai girlfriend, that Mm -hmm. that diver, and they don't even mention her at all in the movie, which I think is really- That's like the greatest coincidence. Mm -hmm. How can you ignore that? I don't know. It's a two and a half hour movie. I thought they could do it, but- I assumed they would make that love story as drawn out as Viggo Mortensen and Liv Tyler in The Two Towers, which is what makes the middle part of The Two Towers the worst part of The Lord of the Rings to me. (laughs) Maybe they they use that as an example and they just they couldn't couldn't risk it. They couldn't risk it. No, no. I learned my lesson. (laughs) That that guy, Ian, he he reviews that (laughs) middle part of the nine-hour saga really harshly, so we got to just cut this whole love story out. Always to serve Ian. Always yeah. to serve Ian. I'll, I'm going to go do Hidalgo really quick <laughs> and Green Book. <laughs> well, last thing I'll say about 13 Lives is it does have the best Edgerton, which is Joel. So, y- Yikes. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to, if we ever have a Patreon or some other podcast where we talk about other things... We're going to have to have some sort of edge off, Edgerton off. We're edging away. And just like we should edge on over to the show that we're talking about, because it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime. In September 2018, Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen tried to answer the question, how long does forever last? Amazon clearly answered that meditative question a few months later. Eight half-hour episodes and not a second more, as this one was one and done. So 2018's forever, not 2014's forever, with Maya Rudolph, Fred Armisen. That's what we're talking about today. I have now seen the show three times. Ian, wow, you have not seen the show, right? Nope, not until the last two days. And could we quick shout out the listener recommendation that led to this pick? Thanks to our listener, Rocky, who recommended this to me. We would love to take more listener recommended shows. Rocky had great things to say about this show and really wanted to see what we thought of it. And he knows that you've seen it and I haven't. So Mm. I always like reviews like this where we're coming in with different perspectives, you know? Yeah, please keep sending them in because we will prioritize viewer recommendations over whatever stupid things come to our head. Right, the second Jason Alexander show that I want (laughs) to... The one that you thought we were doing initially? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, and we are sure that Rocky was not talking about 2014's Forever with Yoan Gruffin. Yes, yes, I'm positive because he sent me the poster. Fantastic. The poster, which is just... 
Maya Rudolph, and Fred Armisen. And this is an interesting one because do you remember when this show came out? Sort of the fervor behind it a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I was really looking forward to seeing it, and then it got, like, okay to kind of bad reviews, and I just never did, I thought. Okay, well, I guess 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 77 on Metacritic is okay. Man, I guess someone just told me it was bad, and I listened, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Because I was looking forward to it. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because when the show was starting to get released, there were no details about it, like, at all. It was just a vague trailer. Yeah, but Maya Rudolph, Fred Armisen, together for the first thing that they've done since SNL, and they're a married couple, and I think the logline was they go on a ski trip. And that was all that people knew. The reviewers were sent all of these things about what you could and couldn't say while reviewing the show, which is tough, too, especially because they dropped all eight episodes on one day. And they really were trying to keep the show a secret and what the show kind of evolves into but they really were betting on this sort of main relationship between the two of them Uh, because forever at its core is a meditation on marriage and what we look for out of our partners and so this couple is played by Fred Armisen who plays Oscar and I don't know how would you characterize Oscar? Uh, Oscar's just a dweeb you know he's a classic Fred Armisen, nice guy who isn't aggressive at all and just wants to accommodate everybody around him and is like kind of just simple in the way that his his life is. He doesn't want a lot. He doesn't need a lot. He just wants to do crossword puzzles and he's like really into, I do want to share a quote that I think exemplifies character. Oh, I've got one too. I wonder if it's the same quote. He says, nobody sits you down and gives you an informational packet. That would have been cool. I love packets. <laughs> See, the quote I had that I feel like perfectly encapsulates him is, the less you rock the boat, the smoother everything goes. Nice. That man thrives in routine. He loves doing his crosswords. He loves making his meals. He loves just sitting and enjoying the present. And so does June, played by Maya Rudolph. She enjoys those things, but from the very beginning, you always get a sense that she is looking for something more, that she likes what she has, but there is something else to her life that is missing because of this comfortable relationship that she has. Yeah, she's bored. I mean, Everything's nice. You know, the show starts out with a montage of them just eating dinner and kind of laughing and kind of sitting together and just doing everything over and over again. Even though it's nice and even though they seem to get along, we do right off the bat get the sense that they do the same stuff all the time. I mean, the show starts with they're about to go to a cabin they go to every year. And instead she's like, what if we go skiing? And that's like a big twist to Oscar is like, well, but we always go to the cabin. Yeah. And she just wants something new. Yeah. They're not unhappy, which I think is a really clear sort of distinction that the show makes early on, which I enjoy. They do have chemistry, the two of them. And apparently the show did sort of start with just the idea of, Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen wanted to work together. And so they're like, okay, what can this be? 
And so then that's how Alan Yang and Matt Hubbard, the co-creators of the show, got on board just through conversations with them. Matt Hubbard is from 30 Rock and Parks and Rec. Alan Yang, also from the Mike Schur School, worked on Parks and Rec as well, also co-created Master of None with Aziz Ansari. And Alan Yang also directed four of the eight episodes as well. So it does definitely feel like kind of more of his show just because of that, I think, extra responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I love the first two seasons of Master of None. Obviously, I haven't really rewatched it just because I feel weird now. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing about Forever was it did show me how much Alan Yang contributed to what I liked about Master of None. You know what I mean? Yeah, he definitely comes from Mike Schur's idea of there is good in the world. There is this sort of underlying optimism, I think, that sort of permeates a lot of his work, even though there are times when this show in particular gets pretty cynical. He's kind of, to me, like a cooler Mike Schur. Like, he has a lot of hip-hop references. He he knows his way around pop culture. He's not afraid to swear, which Mike Schur is, like, deadly afraid of, it seems like, and doesn't want anything to be too gross or crass. It's interesting that you're bringing this up because I could only think of this show in comparison to... The Good Place? Yes. Famously, that's your favorite show, right? One of them, yeah. I like how you do dictate my choices and the things that I like as famously, as if I... You've said that before, too. It makes me laugh. Uh, Famously in that... To me, you are very one note in your opinions <laughs> and you're super lame like Oscar. You just want to watch the same stuff over and over again. Dang straight. I've seen The Good Place five times all the way through, I think. Dear Maybe God. six. Yeah. And you're saying that's not, I mean, how can someone say it's not their favorite show and have watched something six times? I've seen The Room about 45 times and it's not my favorite movie. Yeah, I guess I've seen Stella many, many times, and it's not my favorite show. There you go. Sometimes things are just fun to rewatch. And Alan Yang actually did, I think, work on the first season of The Good Place and left it to... He's at least credited with the second episode, I think, of The Good Place. And I think he Yo, left it to work I would feel weird about that if I was Mike Sure. I'd be like, so you're just taking my idea and doing it on streaming now? But they're buddies. Artistically? They're buddies. Alan Yang is the only one besides, sure, I think, that stuck out the entire run of Parks and Rec. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, he was there from the the very, very beginning. And then Master of None and this. And I was watching an interview with Alan Yang, and the interviewer described Alan Yang's style as surprising. Like... Mm. Alan Yang never likes to do the same thing twice. So he does, I don't think he has like a clear sort of stylistic voice, but I think he always kind of wants to keep people on their toes with whatever his projects are. And I see that a lot in this show, for sure. Yeah, this show does take a lot of, it takes a lot of surprising turns, but at the same time, I would say this is like The Good Place with like 70% less plot. Yeah. Yeah. There is not a lot of plot to drive these eight episodes. It is pretty 
What's like a nicer word for laborious? The vibe of the show is stillness. It's to say slow would sound derogatory. Yeah. But I think it comes to the title forever. Mm-hmm. The scenes do are not rushed at all. People take their time to think about their responses to questions. Um, we'll stay in a scene four more minutes than other shows would have made the scene last. And it's more because he just wants us to watch people. He just wants us to feel like things are taking a long time in a certain way because there's no soundtrack really that plays. No, there's no music playing throughout these scenes or these transitions. So it has in a way a feeling of just sitting and waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Which is what my Rudolph's character does. And is, I think what the show is also a meditation on it is forever What does forever mean? Even if there is an afterlife, okay, well, then you're just there forever. And what if you still get bored like a human being gets bored? Okay, what what are you supposed to do forever? Yeah. What is the next thing when you've got nothing but everything in front of you? And how, how do you navigate that with another person as well? And when you have those kind of connections. So the show... I see as kind of being broken up into three parts. Uh, The first part would be the first two episodes. So we get a sense of who June and Oscar are by going on this ski trip with Oscar. But then at the end of the first episode, Oscar goes full Sonny Bono and dies while skiing. And so June then tries to kind of figure out what her life is like without him. And what I loved about that episode is... Mm -hmm. The scene where he dies, beautifully shot. The music that goes along with it is gorgeous. He's still funny in the way that Fred Armisen is funny. And then you kind of know he's going to die. Like going up to it, you're like, are they going to make him hit a tree? And then he dodges a tree and then he hits a tree. But it's right after him and Maya Rudolph had kind of a fight. So... It's funny, it's serious, and it's beautiful all at the same time. Yeah, the thing I like about their fights, especially early in the show, is they're very reasonable. Like, the fight that they, the last fight that they have is about, it's something about how she might have wanted to have kids, and he never really did. But they kind of end on this sort of murky thing, and he goes up to ski, and she stays down in the bar, she kind of flirts with a Canadian dude down there too. So you could definitely see where she gets her regret when he does die. And the second episode is all about her sort of mourning a year after his death. And she still misses him. And she drinks single serving wine cups and her friend is trying to get her out of the house, but she's still sort of stuck even when he's not there which I think kind of comes into play later on as well. Well, that's an important episode too, because she's mourning him so hard, but her friend is like, okay, real talk though. You were not super happy in that marriage. Like you loved each other, but 
Let's not pretend like you weren't yeah. bored and you weren't your your eyes and your mind wasn't wandering at the time. So it's about her really trying to turn her life in a direction that she wants finally, which is kind of her story throughout the season as well. And she thinks about this, I think, partially through her career. And she like sees this job and she's like, I'm going to go for it, even though I'm probably underqualified. And then she chickens out of applying for that job because she's scared that she is underqualified and that she ends up getting that job because everyone at her company gets fired and probably arrested for embezzlement. So it's this cool idea of like, yeah, her life is moving forward, but it was totally by accident. It wasn't propelled by her. Right. She tried to, then she couldn't, but then it did. And then right as her life is getting exciting, she chokes on a macadamia nut and dies. And again, uh, the music was so beautiful when she was getting onto that plane. I was like, oh, okay. She's going to die on the plane. Like they, they let you know at the music there. And that was pretty cool. Um, John, we should take a quick commercial break before we get to the rest of the season. All right. We'll see you in the afterlife. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. After June dies, she meets Oscar in the afterlife in a neighborhood called Riverside, which I did hear apparently Alan Yang grew up in Riverside, California, which I think is a Mm. a fun homage criticism because Riverside is behoring. It is a sort of white picket fence, every lawn's perfectly manicured, not in like a Stepford Wivesy way, just in a okay, this is a group of boring people that are just kind of coasting through the rest of their existence. And so June gets there and Oscar says, there aren't really many rules. We just kind of keep living. And she says, well, then what's the point of this? And he's like, well, what's the point of what happened before this? You're like, okay, like let's, let's keep on living then. That's when the line about the, the packet comes along. (laughs) Because he's like, nobody gives you an informational packet. Like, I only know as much as people that were already here have told me. And they're formers, but they still see the people that live in Riverside, California, or that are alive. So those are called currents, and they're called formers. And then I thought it was really funny in the third episode when they start haunting that family. Yeah, they go to their lake house that they had and June had sold off the lake house. So they find out a couple other rules too, that I think are important. You can move objects. It's just really hard to, and you have to channel a lot of your energy into your hand basically. And you can also zap or what did they call it? Uh, You can juice a current's energy as well. Oh yeah. By that becomes uh important kind of later Mm -hmm. in the season because at first the only rules are oh you can 
touch something, but it's really hard to do. It takes like all your energy. And the other thing is there's a fountain in the middle of town. And if you get too far away from that fountain, you'll get super tired and disappear or something. Yeah. So that's really the only thing that kind of tethers people to it. And June gets there. Oscar has his best friend, Mark, who died when he was 16. So he still has the body of a 16-year-old. Crashes Camaro. Seven ain. Seven ain. Seven. It was seven ain. More bad. More bad. He was seventeen, and so he still has the body of a seventeen-year-old, and he. But he's like, "Hey, I'm fifty-eight. I'm your elder." He likes to be an elder sometimes when it's advantageous for him, and he likes to be a teenager when it's not. Um, but he died in the eighties, so he does. There is a bit of the comedy of like he. He uses some outdated racial slurs and he likes to skateboard and he doesn't really know. He also never had those kind of like dating experiences, those big sort of life moments that a lot of other people were able to live through. Like he never had a girlfriend. He all he had was basically like a car, a skateboard and some records. And then he died. And so he's still kind of missing a lot of that experience that he's trying to get via other people. He's immature or something, you know, there's still so, even though he's older than Fred Armisen, there's so much Fred Armisen can teach him because he's got, I mean, really it's like he's got arrested development, you know, he's just stuck. You're kind of just stuck at the age you died at, which would have been kind of interesting if the show would have gone like 10 years, Mm -hmm. how they could justify that, you know, really aging the actors. Yeah. I don't think they could have. No, maybe this the fountain could sap their energy and they get more wrinkled, John. You don't know. That's true. The nice thing about the show and its rules is that it only employs them, I think, when it's useful to the story. Other than fountain, juicing, sometimes moving objects. We don't really get a sense of why they're there, what sort of is keeping them there, what is going to get them out of it. They just live. Right. Why only some people are in their neighborhood? Like, it's not like everyone that dies goes there. It's just one day they wake up and Catherine Keener's their neighbor. Yeah. You know. And Catherine Keener plays Case, who is kind of the catalyst for the rest of the season. You know what I love Catherine Keener in? Death to Smoochie. I knew you were going to say Death to Smoochie. What is it about Death to Smoochie? Uh, It's like... A hilarious noir. I mean, Danny DeVito directs Death to Smoochie, and he did a fantastic job of taking the innocence of children's entertainment and merging it with the noir crime drama, and it makes for a fantastic comedy, John. Well, it looks like you've thought about it or something. I just like being John Malkovich, so that's always my keener. Oh, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. She's great in that. Yeah. Case, though, is a... She said she has, like, a boring job in the government. She didn't really have much of a life on Earth. And so she challenges the kind of normalcy of the Riverside community by kind of taking a nihilistic, well, nothing matters, so I can do whatever I want thing. But she doesn't... She's not very chaotic which I think is an easy thing to fall into when you have a character that doesn't really care what other people think. So I like that kind of turn 
It's more like she's just kind of shrugging and doing whatever she feels like. Yeah. It's not like she's like, I'm going to shave off my head and, you know, light everything on fire. She's just like, eh, I hate this thing. I'm going to burn it. Yeah. She's perpetually unsatisfied. I guess one of the other rules in the community or in death or whatever is that you end up with a house. It's not even necessarily the house you lived in when you were alive. You just get a house. It's filled with the stuff you enjoyed when you were alive. And then you can't change anything about it because when you wake up the next day, everything just kind of resets. Yeah. Even not even like falling asleep. One of the things that Case does is she like burns this cabinet that she hates. And right. immediately the cabinet shows back up. Like not even the next day. It's just like she burns it outside, comes back in, boom. There it is. Here's my real thing with Case. Uh, when she arrives in the neighborhood, Oscar and June uh, are trying to be good neighbors. So they bring over a big bowl of mac and cheese and then she really reluctantly takes it from them because they force it on her, even though she doesn't like mac and cheese. And they see her in her backyard throw the mac and cheese like out into her bushes. And then she throws the bowl, too. <laughs> and there was something about the way she tossed the bowl that was like it wasn't with a ton of force. It wasn't like flippantly. It was just like, get this away from me. Like. There was something about the way she threw the ball that I just kept rewinding and watching because it was so funny to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Good physical comedy. Yeah, it's also through a bit of like a spy shot too. Like you don't, it's through mm-hmm. Maya Rudolph's perspective. Right. The view is obfuscated by things around the window. Mm-hmm. So Did I use obfuscated right? Maybe. I don't know. I think so. I hope so. Yeah. We'll see. Listeners, uh, email us. Let me know. <laughs> One and done pot at gmail.com. So eventually, June and Case find a way to leave the Riverside neighborhood and they take the road because all roads lead to one place, and that is Oceanside, which is this beautiful palatial beachside thing that you can only get to presumably if you juice a current and that gives you enough energy to make it to the ocean so that you're not bound by the energy of Riverside. Oceanside gives me the vibe of like first class on the Titanic. (laughs) You know, everybody's dressed up in suits with bow ties playing, you know, it's like an old time supper club feel with like jazz playing or something. Mm -hmm. And they're like popping champagne. There's a little bit of Boz Lerman's Great Gatsby feel to me in there. Yeah. So they come up upon this place and it's like very, they're like, oh, we forgot that we lived. We just live every day and we don't even remember our lives. We're just going with the flow. So it's, not snobbish, but in, in some ways it is. Yeah, it is a group of people that have, as they say, they have changed the way that they think and the mm-hmm. way that they sort of have seen themselves. Like They like to stand in front of cars because they know that they're just going to poof into a cloud of dust and then reappear. They like to light their faces on fire. They like to walk on the bottom of the ocean. 
they have this sort of reckless abandon because of their position in their lives. And in their deaths, John, in their deaths. Look at you go. So Jude leaves Oscar in Riverside, though. And Oscar eventually makes his way to Oceanside just to tell her off, which I loved. Well, the thing about it is, though, he doesn't juice anyone on the way so that by the time he gets there, he is incredibly tired and probably driven to a state of, you know, he's he's cranky yeah. when he gets there because he doesn't act like Oscar. Oscar's very docile and he gets in there and screams at her in a in front of the entire room full of people at Oceanside. Yeah, but then the next day he wakes up and he's like, oh, I don't even remember what I said. She's like, well, you were kind of a jerk. You said I was a bad person. You called me a homewrecker and you wanted to leave. And he's like, Oh, good, because that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> so he had and no regrets. You called me a poser. <laughs> <laughs> the show does a good job at throwing jokes in there when it make, it's not very jokey. It's not overly written. It is the dialogue is very grounded, but you also definitely get a sense of the history, especially of Jude and Oscar. I think that plays out a lot in this sort of running thing too that they have where they ask each other these hypothetical questions like what is the perfect activity that you can do for a half hour or what is the best way to sit? And they have these like long debates about, well, if you're sitting with one leg crossed, uh, you have to have a bit of your knees open so that you can be okay. And you, I don't know. I think the best one is at the end, what's the perfect snack for the beach? Because they're like, oh, you can't have something with like that needs utensils because you're like lugging around all these dishes. But you also can't have something that's just going to get sand easily blown into it. Uh, Otherwise, you'll have a sandy treat and they come up with a a banana is the best one because it has a natural casing you can throw away. Which I agree. Well, Maya Rudolph does. And it's, uh, I would if I really like bananas, which I, I don't. What? I tolerate them Ugh. now because they're, they stop my calves from cramping up. Gosh. So I eat more bananas. But, oh, no, I've never liked bananas. I mean, as an adult, I've had to learn to tolerate them, but. Banana is not my flavor. Your mustache says you're 23, but your body screams 67. I like to think my mustache says old-timey strongman or, no judgment, Bronson, the movie. (laughs) The Tom Hardy one? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Bald hair, thick mustache, Bronson. Mm -hmm. It's the most walrusy my mustache has ever been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, Can you fit your hairs in your mouth? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, sometimes I trim my mustache just by biting my hairs. Oh, see, that was my issue when I had a mustache, but then I would, I would bite it too much on the sides, so then the mustache would get too, it wouldn't be long enough, like, like wide enough. Yeah, see, you were bringing the sides in, whereas I'm not doing that. I'm just biting on what gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it is, No one's ever said it looks uneven. No one's ever noticed. It's never been an issue. Well, look at that. I'm glad that you are just perfect. You're a perfect little mustachioed man sitting on your chair, judging the rest of us for not having 
the kind of facial hair prowess that you do. I don't even want to talk about forever. I just want to sulk in my facial-haired madness. I did very dramatically shave my head and beard the other day. Very, very Luke Wilson and Royal Tenenbaums. Like, just I was going to go to the coffee shop to get some writing done. And instead, I was like, I can't leave until I just get rid of this thing. And I was just looked in the mirror and cut chunks out with my scissors and just took the buzzer and shaved the whole head except for the mustache. Very cinematic. Or sad. How do we get back to talking about the show? Um, well, so back to their lists of what's the best this or that. Really what they're doing is showing how two people fill the time. How two people fill boredom. You know, they have no goals. They have nothing to lose because they're already dead. Mm -hmm. So what do they do for presumably... If you want to put a timeline on it, they're dead for like 60 years, yeah, which is only hinted at, but that's right. You figure that? Uh, yeah. A few decades at least. Yeah. They're, also, their routines are the same. She just makes a lot of clay pots. He does crossword puzzles. He does jumping jacks in the backyard. She does. They do nothing. They do nothing all the time. And of course, she's bored. And of course, she has to go to Oceanside like they do a really good job in the show of Fred Armisen never changes, but she is constantly restless. Even when, when she's with him, she's restless. When she's doing something else, she kind of wishes he was there. Yeah. And they kind of say it very bluntly towards the end of the show. They say, she says, I'm sorry because I blamed you for what I never became. Essentially, she always saw him as the reason that she didn't become this fully actualized person when really it was herself holding herself back. And then he just says, I wanted to keep things the same because I felt like if anything was different, you wouldn't like me anymore. And so it's this place of deep insecurity and that sort of drives his safety net desires. And it's her frustration with not just him but herself so when they kind of realized that there was this idea that came up in an interview that I heard with Alan Yang where Matt Hubbard the co-creator was talking about what do you actually look for in a partner and most of the time it's the person that you want to be in a car next to it's not like the big stuff it's just what does it mean to exist with another human being and go through your life. Like, that's what matters. It's not the the grand gestures. It's because that, when you draw it out over a long period of time, that's the thing that matters is the little things. Oh, yeah. I mean, even having a roommate, it's like you don't have to be best friends, but can you sit in the same room comfortably for hours at a time, days at a time for months? I mean... Other than Natalie, I, I cannot see myself just hanging out with somebody 20 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. Yeah. Like, well, especially since the pandemic, you know, <laughs> but uh, we both worked from home. I mean, that's been, that was a real test of how well do we get along. And it turns out great. Yeah. But there were some times where I'd go... I, 
like, especially in like deep quarantine and lockdown times, I was like, hey, I just realized that we've been in the same room as each other for three days straight. (laughs) So I'm just going to go in the office and please don't follow me. (laughs) No, you do need that separation, but you... The fact that you are able to exist like that together, I think, is ultimately what the show, where the show's optimism comes from. Like, mm-hmm. in spite of all the turmoil that the two of them might have in the sort of inner conflict with their personalities, you never get the sense that they don't ultimately enjoy being around each other. So when they, spoiler alert, when they do ultimately end up together and they trek across the ocean, it makes sense. They briefly get divorced. Oh, they do briefly get divorced. Symbolically on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> but they make their way back to each other. And it's it's nice. I'm a nice boy. I like nice things. Yeah, I, I knew you would like the niceness of it, John. Don't worry. We all knew you'd like the niceness of it. Speaking of nice things, why don't we reflect for a little bit and we will come back and give out some joy with some Dunzo Awards. And now, a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to all of the shows that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the most, it could be the weirdest. Whatever it is, we have decided to give out awards to elements of the show or the entire show itself each of us get two dunzo awards ian my forever co-host what is your first dunzo award my first dunzo award in a very ian fashion goes to the show as a whole in fact uh both of my dunzos are that way but this is called the anchors away award (laughs) In that this show is not anchored to anything, therefore the anchors are away from it, if that makes sense. I mean, uh, I guess. Do you want to elaborate? Anchors are away. Yeah. Anchors away. Oh, wait. Can you, say uh, that? wait. Can you say that one more time? Anchors away? There it is. Okay. Now I got it. So the first two episodes, Maya Rudolph has a friend. Never see her again. The third episode, it just starts out in this, in Riverside, California, with a security guard and his friend smoking a joint in this abandoned neighborhood. And this friend going to pee in a bush is how we're introduced to the fact that Maya and Fred are dead living in this neighborhood and they're just watching this guy pee. Because the neighborhood got closed down because of a mold issue. That's how they explain the entire neighborhood of abandoned houses. Which is a little Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, But it doesn't really matter. And you never see those two again. Um, We'll get to it, but there's a whole one-off episode with two characters we never see again. When they get to Oceanside, you get a sense that they are never going to go back to Riverside. At the end of the show... They walk through the ocean to finally find some other source of land that is presumably where they're going to be for season two. And you get the sense that they're never going to go back to Oceanside either. And we're never going to see any of the characters that we saw 
before again. Yeah, there is this sort of progression that happens and is definitely too inhibited by the mechanics of the world itself. Like they literally cannot return to Riverside because this guy who is just credited as the traveler, this tall dude with a briefcase is just like, you can't go back to Riverside. They're like, but we want to. And he's like, but you can't because all roads lead to Oceanside. They're like, okay, guess we can't go back to Riverside. Well, and then Fred Armisen gets the idea that he's like, oh, but all roads leave to Riverside, which is why I'm going to make a boat and I'm going to sail away. And uh, it's a little surprising that it took June so long to bring up the fact that you could just walk through the ocean. You don't need a boat. Yeah. Because she already did that with her Oceanside buddies. But she said in that same episode, I feel like I constantly underestimated you. I don't think she thought he mm. could do it. So she was like, he'll do his plan and maybe it'll work. But in that case, I, in any case, I won't see him again. So what does it matter? That's true. This is definitely the beach and Oceanside are the most out of character that we see Oscar. He has finally come out of his shell a bit. And I mean, fair enough that she did not expect him to do that or do anything because he's never really done anything before. No, He was a dentist that likes packets and spreadsheets. Like, And he does crosswords every day, even though he's bad at them. He very. <laughs> yeah. He's also super <laughs> passive aggressive too. Even when he does get angry, like there's, he talks yes. one time about how he for years has before the, utensils go in the dish well before the dishwasher gets run he flips the <laughs> forks up so that the tines are pointed upwards because he read in i think it was like living simple that tines up is better so instead of actually telling june that he wanted to do that he just would do it himself and then when she's like well you could have for years for years and when she said like, you could have told me, like, you don't need to do that. And he could just goes, fine, I'll stop doing nice things because it seems to upset you. Like, that is his sort of explosiveness. He's played it out in his head where he's like, well, I'm going to tell you, you should put the tines up. And then you're going to go, okay, and then you're not going to do it. And then I'm going to ask again, hey, do you think you could put the tines up next time you load the dishwasher? And then you're going to forget again. And then I'm going to be the one nagging you and you're going to resent me for it. So why don't I just turn the tines up every time? And it, like in a way it shows he's he's also kind of a – he's kind of a control freak and a little bit of a psycho – in that he has done this, you know, 10,000 times, as he said, and literally never told her about it. Because he doesn't just, want to have a conversation. Like, exactly. they never want to build or build to anything that could be upsetting. At least he doesn't. And that's what ultimately sort of leads her away from Riverside because she says, anytime I tried to bring it up, you would always change the subject. And... Mm -hmm they don't feel like they have honest conversations. They still enjoy being around each other for sure, but they Yeah, if you're afraid of confrontation or sharing your feelings, then in many ways you are not truthful. Yeah. Which is why I try to be as confrontational as possible, you piece of poop. Great. 
Let's get to your first Dunzo, I think. My first Dunzo goes to best version of Mark. And that goes in episode five, I believe. There's a little story that Mark has where, so Mark is Oscar's best friend. In oh, Riverside. I love this storyline. Yeah. Mark realizes that one of the new inhabitants of Riverside was a woman that he went to high school with, like the coolest girl in school. She's now older, like in her late 50s, early 60s. And he still has a crush on her, though. And so he... Well, she's playing shuffleboard with uh, two younger women. So then Oscar's like, oh, you're into one of those two. And he's like, no, her. And, you know, it's kind of the twist that he's really into the older woman because really she's his age. Yeah, exactly. And but she's way out of his league. She dated Mike Friedel, and he's a total badass. He put LSD in our principal's coffee. It did permanent brain damage. I'll never do anything that cool. Which I just love. So funny. Yeah. And so he takes her back to his house. Like, he's really nervous about how the posters are arranged, too. He plays some records for it. They talk about all the people that are either, like, knocked up or dead from their high school, and they just dance. And I just... Oh, he'd never been on a date before. Yeah, that was it, too. And Mark as a character was supposed to be the sort of immature kind of not even comic relief, just like tension reliever a lot. Like he would just break into people's houses for fun. Like that was, or he would just swear about people. Or uh, they'd ask him to keep secrets and he wouldn't because it's like everything's so boring. He kind of wants to create drama because what else is there to do? Exactly. And so I like that they gave him that little storyline of it was a little bit of hope. It was also a little sad because this woman that he had a crush on, she was going to be waiting for her husband. So he knew that there was never going to be any shot with her. So a little sad, a little sweet. I thought that was a great use of Mark. Ian, what is your second Dunzo Award? My second Dunzo Award is the Double-Edged Sword Award, which I give to the pacing of the show. Mm. Which, you know, I mentioned it earlier. It is slower in that it sits in moments longer than most shows would. And that is because like, look, if we were, you know, if you're sitting on a beach with someone, it's really nice to sit on the beach, but there is a part of it that's like, oh, this is boring. You know, nothing's happening. When, even though I want to go to the beach, when am I going to leave? I wanted to go to the beach all day. And now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, there's nothing happening. I guess I'll just go home. Mm -hmm. And I think it really effectively communicated what the show was about. Actually, I think it was the strongest piece of directing about the show was to create this tempo, uh, create this space that the show existed in that where no music was playing and you felt the foreverness of it, the Mm -hmm. futility of foreverness. If there's a a way to say it, yeah, it's like, Oh, you, you get up, you do whatever you go to bed, you get up, you do whatever you go to bed. You can only live within a 10 mile radius or whatever it is. Your house will never change. It's 
just what forever is. And it did a a great job at communicating that. But at the same time, I mean, sometimes it did make the show a little boring Mm -hmm. um, or a little one note or even uh, like the big heartfelt conversation that they have with each other on the beach about how she held herself back and she blamed him. But also he was like, no, but I kind of held you back too. Uh, But I appreciate that you're taking responsibility for having not lived your life the way you wanted to. And you used me as an excuse to let yourself off the hook for not doing what you wanted to do. This was like a four minute scene. Mm -hmm. And it was them standing in the same place and it was just over the shoulder shot, over the shoulder shot, over the shoulder shot, over the shoulder shot, which frankly, from a directing standpoint, a little bit boring. And I was really wondering if they were in a budget crunch when they were on the beach, because there were a lot of scenes on the beach in the last two episodes that made me be like, this is getting a little bit dull. And I don't think they mean for it to be like it. It went from a clear choice to I, I'm I really hope that I'm getting at something here. I've, I'm that, hoping too. let's let's see it. No, it just it earlier in the show, the pacing felt like a choice and the directing was incredible. The last two episodes of the show, maybe even three, everything, some plot points seemed a little rushed. Some things seemed a little vague not because it was supposed to be. Um, We would just be in one place and then skip to another place. Like, not a big time jump, but like, I don't know. You kind of feel like it. there's an emotional arc that's skipped. Like, Maya Rudolph and Catherine Keener have an emotional affair. And it's like, they talk about how she left Oscar for her. Whereas like, as a viewer, it felt more like, she was bored, so she was leaving for Oceanside. But the last two episodes, it's about how her and Catherine Keener are like together now, at least in an emotional way. Mm-hmm. And that part of it really came out of nowhere. And it, it just felt like they had to cut corners. They had to do a couple things on the cheap. And some of these moments faked the heart that the earlier parts of the show had. Okay. And it lost some steam at the end. Okay. Um, does that make sense? I mean, you've been talking for like five minutes straight, so probably, yeah. I think that there... As I want to do. <laughs> I think that the buildup of their relationship is a little bit better, especially when you think about all the time that has passed. I'm talking about Case and June in particular. There's this line that Jude has that says where she says, we just understand each other on a deep level. And I think that's all you really need to sort of understand what that, what's happening there. It's not necessarily romantic, but it is affection. It's kind of like what we talked about, that distinction on the Time Traveler's Wife episode. You know, you don't have to have a romantic relationship to have a lot of love for them. And I think that's kind of what was building that as well. When it comes to the story, it's interesting that you say that they think you think they might have run out of time because they actually wrote all eight episodes before they started filming the first one. So sure. I was in this interview I was listening to, they basically sat down 
with the cast, Universal, Amazon. They read through the first four episodes in the morning. They had a lunch break and they read through the first four, the last four episodes in the afternoon. And that was because Alan Yang and Matt Hubbard were like, this is, we want them to understand what the full story is so that they're not nitpicking things earlier on or like as it's developing because we've got this idea of where it begins, where it ends. And so if we want to make notes about what the bigger sort of stretch of the show is going to be, we want to do it earlier. And for me, I thought that paid off well because yeah, there are some things that kind of speed up a little bit more towards the end. And they definitely did have some budget issues, which I, I will get to later on. But they, I, I felt that though. I felt the momentum and the way that they kind of came together, even though not everything was said. I think it was pretty purposefully vague. But I, I just felt like they were missing a scene or something where her and Case have a real emotional connection to make me be like oh, there is a greater understanding of one another because to me that relationship felt like like they were friends and they got along and then it was a relationship of convenience of they were both like, we both want more. We both want to see what this Oceanside thing is about. I figured out a way. I don't want to go alone. Please come with me. Mm-hmm. But the I never got the sense that like, oh, but they're but they're good for one another. No, and I don't think the show wants you necessarily to think that they are good for one another. They just have similar motivations, which is going to drive them to the same final destination. Right. It was, they had similar motivations. I did not feel that connection that they claim to have. Mm. And I think that just kind of comes with the time that isn't on camera. And I think that, again, Maybe that is that feeds into this idea, the double-edged sword idea of the point of the show is that real connection isn't made with big declarations. It's not made with big moments. It's about steady understanding over a long period of time, which I think they make very clear right from the outset with that five-minute montage of just moments from Oscar and June's relationship and I think that that carries through throughout the entire show as well. I think they could have used the scene. <laughs> uh, what's your second Dunzo? So my second Dunzo goes to the most intriguing standalone episode. And that is going to go to episode six, which is called Andre and Sarah. So for those that have watched the show and are listening to this, you're probably like, why are we over an hour into this episode and we're just finally talking about episode six? Because episode six has very little connection to the rest of the story. Episode six, though, is also like the highest rated episode on IMDb. It's like an 8.6 rating with like the next highest one is like a 7.4. So it is like a little movie, it is, you know? Yeah. And Andre and Sarah follows these two realtors uh, played by uh, Jason Mitchell from Straight Outta Compton and The Shy and Hong Chow from Downsizing and Homecoming, I think was her other big thing. Oh, she was also in Watchmen on HBO. Right. And there are these two realtors that sort of have a flirtation at this open house that one of them is throwing. And we kind of check back in with them a few more times over the course of their life. 
they go from being sort of friendly and flirty, but she's in a relationship to they sort of cross a line when they kiss at the same house and then they have developed a full-fledged affair. And the thing I really liked about their dynamic, the two of them, because again, it's not connected really at all until probably the last 30 seconds of the episode. They are talking about these sort of big ideas, like what is our place in the universe? What does love mean? Can we really commit to each other? What does this look like for the rest of our lives? They have these kind of big conversations. I don't think there's anything really revelatory about the dialogue that they share. But I think that adds really to the sort of universality of the sort of final message of the episode, which is we just didn't get the timing right. We missed out on these opportunities to really develop this relationship because the episode ends with sort of 60 to 65-year-old Andre who finds out that Sarah has died and he just kind of sulks and realizes that they had their chance to have something real with each other and they didn't get it. And we find out that June has been watching presumably their entire relationship play out over the course of these couple decades. And that's what sort of drives her to Oceanside. They were having this affair in the empty houses that they were realtors for. So June would have been able to just watch them meet, watch them court, watch them uh, cross the line and have a full-on affair. And then the devastating part is they're having like a full-on meal with each other that's like really nice and you think that they're married and it turns out that they still are having an affair and they're going to leave each other's spouses for each other and it ends with them being like, we have to do it tonight and He's like, oh, but my kid's birthday is like tomorrow. We have to do it in three weeks. And she's like, no, but then my parents are in town. And she's like, we have to do it tonight or else we're never going to do it. And it cuts to the flash forward. And clearly they never did it because they no. didn't do it that night. No, exactly. They, He is presumably divorced or I would guess that he wouldn't have tried to pursue this unless his current relationship was over you know, 30 years Mm. later or whatever it is. And this idea of how can we tell the people that matter the most to us, how much they mean to us in the moment rather than letting something meaningful to us slip away. I just think that that message is stunning. And I thought the way that they kind of under scored the thesis it really i think became sort of the thesis of the show and without really using any characters from the rest of the season really tells the story of the entire season with that one episode you know it's interesting too it's like most writers would have put that as like a prologue or an epilogue mm-hmm. it's really interesting that they put a one-off story as the end of the second act of the season. Yeah. 
that's pretty unusual and very creative of them. Yeah, I really not just admired it. I really enjoyed that episode. And actually, I've watched the whole series about three times. I've probably watched that episode about seven, eight, because I think the two performances are really fantastic, especially Hong Chow, who should have gotten nominated for an Oscar for downsizing. Just saying, just throwing that out there. Wait, the Matt Damon one? Yeah, she's great in that movie. Wow, but mm-hmm. that movie got panned. Oh yeah, right? it's it's not the best movie, but she's great in, in it. I mean, I gotta say, actually, I don't know if it was their performances in it. I think it's the tone of the show, the way that, right? It's like we take our times to sit and think and respond to people. Um, I don't know. I wasn't thrilled with the acting in that episode. Mm. I couldn't tell if it was their acting or if it was just the fact that I felt like things went a little too slow in that episode. Having said that, in retrospect, I think it's a very powerful episode. I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to sit here and and pretend like I don't have a heart. Uh, (laughs) I like to scream that to the rooftops. That you don't have but a as I was watching it, I was like, do I do I feel like they're genuine? Do I like the way the lines come out of their mouths? Yeah, there were a know. couple sort of stilted line readings, especially from Jason Mitchell. And I will say Jason Mitchell is a problematic actor. He got fired from the chai from being pretty abusive on set. So I do want to say that oh, he my. does not seem like a good person um, in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's not great. Speaking of getting fired on set of The Shy, let's take a quick commercial break and talk about why this show is canceled. And now a word from our sponsors. All eight episodes of Forever launched in September of 2018. In July of 2019, Amazon announced that the show had been canceled. They didn't really give an explanation why. they. It was sort of an industry presentation that they were just like, yeah, Forever and this other show, Lore, were not coming back. It didn't seem to really have much heat behind it. Overall, though, I think there was a lot of heat that came from the mystery of it, especially with how they promoted the show. It's just my Rudolph and Fred Armisen standing next to each other. The only production still, I think, that they released of it was the two of them sitting next to each other. I think that there is certainly an audience for like kind of a mystery box show like this, but the mystery box only works when you're sort of unpacking the reason of it as it's happening, which is going to drive conversation. But I think when you have a show like forever, that is just kind of mysterious at the outset and that it sort of becomes more normal as it delivers. I just don't think that that is enough to kind of spread the word about a show like this. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, this wasn't a show that made me every episode be like, Oh, what's going to happen next episode either. So if they're banking on 
this to drive conversation. It's more like this is an interesting show to talk about if we were a book club sitting in a circle, Mm -hmm. not necessarily something that I'm going to go to work tomorrow and, you know, water cooler, uh, be like, yo, did you catch forever last night? Man, it was crazy when they (laughs) sat on the beach and talked for four minutes. Uh, You know, oh, God, it was so slow and beautiful. Right, Craig? Yo, did you hear, did you see who directed episode three? Janixa Bravo, man. She's going to (laughs) direct Zola in two years, and that movie is going to be fire. Is there something that, like, Master of None had that forever doesn't? Netflix. Is it just Aziz Ansari was big? Aziz Ansari was big. And it also, I think the sort of episodic nature of Master of None kind of let you sort of pick episodes out. You know, there were a couple really, I mean, there was this big standout episode in Forever for sure that I know that people were talking about. I remember kind of hearing, oh, episode six is way different than the rest of the show. And that being something that was intriguing to me. And I think that that sort of can help on a platform like Netflix. But frankly, Amazon Prime mm-hmm. is... Let's get to it. It's a weird sort of content delivery system. And it has been Yo, for years. Literally, what is an... Amazon Prime show that people talk about. Talk about is like a great point because there's things that are popular, like Jack Reacher, Bosch. People watch that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bosch is the continuing joke. How many seasons of Bosch have there been? Like 20. I don't know. Who is watching (laughs) Bosch? Nobody. Isn't Melissa watching Bosch? Probably. She watches Divorced, for God's sake. Oh, dude, seven seasons, 68 episodes. My goodness. That is obviously insanity <laughs> uh, because nobody or their mothers watch Bosch because it's for old people, but old people don't understand how to use Amazon Prime. And that's the thing that I think puts Forever in an interesting position because the platform is primarily for sort of older consumers. It is like the 35 to 55 range. I would say it's like Amazon Prime's like, Mwah. that's what they're going after with a lot of their content decisions. And you'd think that on the surface forever would sort of play into that. But when you look at what has succeeded from a comedy perspective, at least, on Amazon, it's not much. Like Mozart in the Jungle, obviously. Three, uh, yeah, three seasons of that. Three seasons of Red Oaks. Five seasons of Transparent. But I'm looking at this list of they did Red Oaks so dirty. They too. did exactly. They just like dumped that third season. The last season of Red Oaks is not good, and you can tell that it was not supposed to happen that way for sure. And you know, they had The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel the year before, and that premiered in November of 2017. But other than that... They had Fleabag, but that was only two seasons. I mean, that was only supposed to be one season. And then they... Right, exactly. So there's... the Like, I guess Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is really 
their biggest example of a show that would be, I don't know, that's like kind of the standard of what we think of as a good show on a network, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Everything else is just kind of happens and then gets canceled. I mean, Ron Livingston had a show called like Milk <laughs> or something like that on Amazon Prime. It was Louder and Milk. I looked at it, Louder Milk. It's like three or four seasons. And you're going, this has four seasons. No one's ever heard of it. Nobody ex- nobody even talks about Ron Livingston anymore. Not since Little Back- Black Book, am I right? Um, hey, Sex in the City, man. Office Space. Was he in Sex in the City? Yeah, sixth season. He was Burger. Mm, yeah, I mean Band of Brothers, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, my point being, like, what is even on Amazon Prime? Like, what do they do? It is. I have literally no idea. I'm pretty sure that their algorithm advertises shows to you based on what you buy. I don't know if that's necessarily true because they do the Prime app. The Prime Video app is separate from the... I mean, I'm sure they're connected too. So Mm -hmm. they could for sure. But when you look at like the evolution of Prime strategy, they did this really interesting thing when they first started doing original content. Yes, I loved this. Where they released the pilot of a show and then based on how that pilot was received, then they would order a show to series. That's how Transparent got picked up. That's how like One Mississippi got picked up. I know there was a few other shows like that in that model. And this Forever was kind of like right after this happened, like probably a year or two after they canceled this sort of model. And I think they were just like still, they're still figuring it out. And it's one of those things they've got more money than God. And so they can try out a bunch of different release strategies. Like they were spending a bunch of money on independent movies at Sundance in 2018. And I I was going to say, if I think of their streaming, it's really, they do a lot with movies. They'll go big on movies, but on TV, it's a crapshoot. Which is why it's wild that they have Lord of the Rings coming out. Oh my God, of course. Yeah. And so what's that going to look like? How is that going to be received? How are people going to be digesting that? If you have more money than God, you know, you might as well write five seasons of Lord of the Rings and, you know, not tell anybody what it's about until, you know, for years. Hope for the best and see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I think they want to be that sort of, like, here, we're just going to give you money and you creative person are going to do whatever you want with it. I think they want to be that, but they have too much of an idea of commerce to let that fully happen. They're too much of a shipping business Mm -hmm. to release the reins that much. I mean, it's interesting because like HBO has a brand, you know, CBS and ABC. It's like, I can literally tell it's a CBS or ABC show based on the lighting, Mm -hmm. you know, like even Fox's single camera shows have a feel to them and NBC as well. Amazon prime is all over the place. You don't watch a show and go, Oh, this is on Amazon prime. Yeah. It is a wild grab bag of random stuff aimed at people that were born in the mid eighties or earlier. And I don't really know what it's trying to do 
but I also know that Forever is probably not what should have been on Amazon Prime. I could see it more, you know, if it came out a couple of years later, I'm like, I'm sure it would have been on Peacock if, because uh, it was a universal produced show. And I think it could have done decently well on Peacock if it had been there. I could see it being an FX show too. Yeah. Even without, like, they don't need a ton of swearing or anything crazy, but I could see it kind of fitting in with that brand. Mm-hmm. But it did seem like they were ready to do a second season if Amazon wanted it. Like, they had ideas. The ending of this first season, Alan Yang was talking in an interview about how some people come up to him and say, I love Forever because it's such a complete show. And other people are like, I love the cliffhanger that you had at the end of season one. Like, <laughs> it is, it does cool open up the door to, I think, another world, but it also does complete. It's that idea of that, you know, your good old anchors away. I think with the sort of progression of that show, you can shut a door on a previous chapter of a show like Forever, and then you could have it keep going or you could have it end there. And unfortunate, or yeah, it just kind of, ended there and i think they definitely still were on like budget constraints too because i did want to bring up this point ian did you notice anything about some of the set deck or like the production design especially in riverside in riverside yeah um oh was it the same house every time it was the they were in the interiors case and June and Oscar's house were the exact same, just redecorated. And then they... Oh, I could see it. And then they flipped the image in post. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the houses were also built. Or, you know, when they do the zoom out on the neighborhood, all the houses look kind of similar. There's a little bit of an Edward Scissorhands thing going on Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. So, you know, that's, that's fine. Like, I don't care about that. I felt like there was some weird green screen stuff on the beach i don't know man i really don't know how i feel about those last two episodes (laughs) well those are the ones that we are leaving the show on so ian i'm going to throw this question to you would you renew i would renew Absolutely. Even with your ambiguous feelings about the last two. Well, the last two felt more like some weird choices with production. And frankly, I'll even say I think directing, they might have dropped the ball a little bit. Um, yeah, this was Alan Yang's, I think, directorial s- debut. Yeah, the, the beach scenes were just kind of boring. It's like, you know, if you're having a four-minute long conversation – you want people to be moving. You want a, a little bit of Aaron Sorkin walk and talk in there. Uh, or you want them to be doing something. I mean, there was literally a four-minute sequence of them standing there, not moving, only doing over-the-shoulder shots. And I felt it. Um, and I literally went, I rewound and went, wait, no, there's got to be an establishing shot here. There wasn't. Um, so that was just weird. And but he's a good enough director and the show is, is beautiful. You know, it's like a painting sometimes that I was like, there must have been something wrong that it would all of a sudden get boring in the wrong way, as opposed to the way they wanted it to be. 
And I don't know. Maybe maybe it's out there somewhere. I just feel like there was a scheduling issue. There was a production holdup. There was a set piece that never got delivered. All of a sudden, they were like, oh, my God, we have to shoot five pages in one day. And they had to make it a bunch of cuts. I don't know. But ultimately, I really do like where it ends up. And I do like the story. And I do like uh, the way that she leaves Catherine Keener. And it's like not a big, big deal. And they both just know it's right. Mm -hmm. And whatever. They just move on. There's no big fight or anything. And they walk across the ocean to whatever this new land is. And I want to know what happens next. I totally do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like that it's kind of a fun sandbox to play in. They had some rules for the afterlife that they didn't necessarily have to follow or they could add more to. And you could get a little bit more. It didn't feel like they would ever quite get to the good place place where they'd be explaining everything. It would kind of be the opposite of that, but it would dive further into the world and they can do whatever they want. They can, I would love for them to haunt more people. That was really fun. Um, Yeah, I I would really like to see more. Mm -hmm. John, would you renew? I have seen this show three times. Yes, I absolutely would. Yeah, I, I show my cards way too early. No, I laugh really hard. I cried multiple times watching the show. I think that the things that it has to say about what matters to people are subtle and poignant. And it's my perfect sort of combination of like high concept, universal meaning. Like I love stuff like that where you are doing something big that also feels small and I think that the the touch that the creative team gave to the show is really special. I don't think that everything works perfectly, but I do I'd be excited to see where this would go. And you've said it before and I fully agree with it. I would so much rather be surprised then think something is good. And I think the show does mm-hmm. both. Like you'd never expect that they'd, like you said, six out of the sixth episode out of eight, that they would just do a complete right turn and go, not even a right turn. They would go from the road to the sky. Like there's no rhyme or reason to anything, but it still ties together in, in a pretty perfect way. And also one thing that I really haven't stressed enough on this show or on this episode and talking about this show is how good Maya Rudolph is at absolutely everything she does and how I would watch her do literally anything. I think her range is something that is so wide, so well used in this show. And I think her work since this, since this has only shown more sides of her and I just she is the ultimate performer I would say one of a list of five to ten people that I would see in absolutely anything 
Yeah, this is a very different gear for her, but also from her previous work, it's like, you know she can do this. You know she can be heady and serious and slow in a good way and, you know, subtle and do things that are more meaningful and convey a a wider range of emotions in a way that is not her big usual screaming, being, uh, you know, loud, crazy you know, character actor. Yeah. Um, she's got range. And whereas like Fred Armisen, uh, I know he's a good actor and I know he has range, but this is kind of, this is like classic Fred Armisen. It's right a little here. one note. I think when he does sort of try to do something that isn't the Fred Armisen thing, it doesn't play as well. Well, I think you're discounting Portlandia a little bit. I, to be fair, yeah. like Portlandia. I've never watched all of Portlandia, so that is oh, fair. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's a lot of different characters in there. And some, so it's, Fred Armisen is this like, hi, I'm Fred Armisen. I'm a mousy guy and I'm nice and I'm, I, I don't like conflict, but you know, he can be loud and crazy and whatever. He can at least do that. I don't know if he's the best dramatic actor in the world, but I also don't know if I've seen him really go for it. Yeah. Uh, ever. So I'm not, I'm not going to say he's bad. I just, it's just like, this is classic him. And I don't know if I'd say it's one note, but it is, he is a level character and that does work against what she's doing. Yeah. At least that levelness. I feel like when it becomes unleveled, it feels strained. So yeah, that's fair. I don't think it's one note. I think there's just times where when there are deviations from that, it doesn't play as well. Whereas I think every choice that she makes in this show works. Like like when he busts in to this big fancy party and he's calling her out and he calls her a poser and she <laughs> doesn't get upset. She doesn't she just looks so confused and a little grossed out by the use of the word poser more than anything. And I just, it's little choices like that, that you don't need to make a big, Oh, oh, oh," like guffaw face to show how strange this behavior is more than anything. Well, right. And him doing it, it was a good twist, you know, out of everything. It's like, he does this long journey to find her and then immediately, you know, says he hates her and he can't believe he, she, you know, hurt him so bad. And she's a bad person. That was a good twist. Yeah. Like he's just going to tell her this and then he's going to leave. That's all he needed to say. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I just, I, I would walk 500 miles just to tell you off you. Uh, (laughs) So that was that was a good twist. And then I like that she at that point is at the point where it's like, dude, we're all dead. Nothing matters. Like, why would I get upset when nothing matters? Yeah, absolutely. Like, he's trying to make this big legal divorce. And she's like, yes, I divorce you for being like a passive aggressive jerk. And he's like, well, mine was more legal. It's like, what does legal mean? Right. I love it. Well, that's forever. Ian, any lingering thoughts? Before we um, wrap this up. Just one that this show does a really good job of capturing the existential dread of forever, mm-hmm. which is something that I have felt deeply since I was a child. And it literally used to keep me up at night. Cool. 
It's nice to know how sad you get. It's not even, it's not quite sad. It's not quite scared. It's a very deep whoa. (laughs) I get that. I get that. Yeah. I've got one more thought, and it's just one line that I want to make sure is said. And it's during one of these big Oceanside parties, and Case says, this is maybe the best party I've ever been to. And June says, I don't know. I went to my nephew's bar mitzvah, and the theme was restaurants. <laughs> Love it. Ian, where can people find us? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at one and done TV. You can email us one and done pod at gmail.com is our email. Uh, send us your thoughts. You know, I wouldn't mind some feedback. Um, I don't know. Any segment ideas? I'd, I'd take a segment idea. I don't care. You know, I'd snap off a segment. That, yeah. Yeah. Something that uh, listeners might want to learn more about some TV shows, you know, that'd be cool. Um, I don't know. Just give us your thoughts. Uh, you know, definitely rate us, give us a review, a good review, hopefully, um, you know, on Apple and Spotify, that would be nice to, you know, boost those numbers. Otherwise, uh, always, you know, send me money on Venmo at Hamilton and get yourself a lodge pan scraper. How to with John Wilson. Check it out. Wonderful times. All right. Let's cancel this episode at the end of its run. Or we could let it go on forever. We could. Should we just fill the rest of this time? Make this like a 10-hour episode? No, it's going to be a stream of an episode that (laughs) Never never ends. Until now. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.